Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. week of year isn't it because I don't know if you've noticed this week around Easter it's like every day of the week seems to have its own special name and different things you're meant to remember that are associated with it obviously you've got the big ones you've got Good Friday and Easter Sunday and um then we had on the video Maundy Thursday, which uh, I've heard of. We, we never use the word Maundy, do we, in any of the... So I don't even know what that word really means, but we've got Maundy Thursday. We've got... Today, we heard, is Palm Sunday. Yesterday, you probably know, was April Fool's Day. I'm not sure if there's a connection there. Did anyone do any good April Fool's? No. No, I remember when I was a kid. I must have been about uh, nine or ten years old. I had a sleepover at my grandparents' house on the night going into April Fool's Day. And uh, I did the classic one, um, you know, the cling film on the toilet thing. Um, and so, yeah, I did it uh, kind of late at night. I stayed up a bit, waited till my nan and granddad had gone to bed, uh, did it. And then when granddad got up in the middle of the night, I needed to go. He decided because I was there, he didn't want to wake me, so didn't turn the light on, was trying to manage in the dark, and chaos ensued, which as a little kid was just a, a, a classic moment. But, um, today's Palm Sunday, as Rob mentioned earlier, and I suspect that many of us in this room think we know about Palm Sunday. If you've been around church before, if you've been here for a few years, maybe if you went to Sunday school you might have heard the story and you might have a passing familiarity with it. But in case you haven't, let me remind you. Now, I'm going to need a few volunteers. And those of you who are sitting near the front are now regretting it and a bit uncomfortable on your seats. So I'm going to call some people into action. So Tom and Gracie, would you guys help me a little bit? Is that OK? Now, looking at the two of you, Tom, yeah. I think you would play a great donkey if that's all right <laughs> if you're happy to do that and Gracie would you mind being Jesus for me in this and basically what will need to happen is you'll need to get a piggyback on the donkey across the front okay just hold that thought brace yourself be ready for it okay is that okay nice the rest of you are the crowd now what what do the crowd have on Palm Sunday palm palm branches palm leaves I don't have any of them I do, however, have some of these lovely contact cards. And I figured if I give these out, you could roll these up and use them as like a, a makeshift palm leaf. Can we do that? So um, front row can have them. <laughs> or you can just wave the donuts. That could be a, an alternative. <laughs> so you guys get rolling this. Now, what do all of us need to yell as they come across? Hosanna. Hosanna. So that's what we're going to do. Let's recreate Palm Sunday vibes, okay? You guys are happy to go for this? Let's do it. Let's do it now, yeah. And we need to cheer. We need to be a bit raucous as they come along. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. 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 Woo! Woo! There we go. Well done, guys. Thank you. You can take seats now. Yeah. 
I might be calling on you again later. Um, just be ready. We know the story, right? We've seen it. We know how it all goes. At least we think we know the story. Uh, today I'm going to give you a little bit of the backstory. I'm going to dig under it a bit. We're going to see a bit more about what's going on. And it starts, a lot of the drama around that happening that we've just seen all revolves around a guy called Lazarus. And Lazarus was one of three siblings. They lived in a place called Bethany. Uh, so Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. So, right, three of you here. This looks like a good Lazarus, Martha, Mary section. So, Andy, you can be Lazarus, okay? Martha, Kim, Mary, Vic, right? So you are this little family who live in Bethany. Bethany's not far from Jerusalem. So what Jesus would tend to do is when he would go to Jerusalem, he'd come and stay at your house. You'd be like his base of operations. He'd commute into Jerusalem when he needs to and then go and stay with you in Bethany the rest of the time. Now, we've got a bit of a problem for Lazarus here because he gets a bit poorly. So uh, can you look a bit poorly for me? You don't look very poor. <laughs> There we go. There we go. Lazarus isn't well. You're a bit worried, aren't you, as, as his loving sisters? So you want him to be better. You've, you know Jesus. You know what he does. You know he can heal the sick. You think, OK, Lazarus, we, we need him to be OK. We'd best go and get Jesus. So you need to send some messengers to get Jesus. So who are you going to send? Uh, mm. uh, Denise. <laughs> Can you just go and tell Jesus that um, I'm calling? <laughs> 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 Come on, let's go. Let's go and tell Jesus. <laughs> we, we, we know Jesus. Is Jesus is over there? Cool. Now, Jesus, are, are you going to go and help your friend Lazarus? Sure. <laughs> you are, but not yet. Because you've got, you're a bit busy, you've got other things going on, you don't want to go yet. So you're just going to hold fire for a couple of days, you're going to do your thing, and eventually, all right, come on, let's go and help Lazarus. So let's go, and we're going to heal him. But just kind of, just amble quite slowly, because I need to do some stuff over here for now. Because <laughs> this, <laughs> this delay has made a bit of a problem over here, because Lazarus, who was sick, is now not sick. But you can't do that. He's dead. Okay, so we've, we've got a bit quickly, just pause. Like, let, let, just, just go and have a coffee en route, okay? Because um, Lazarus has now died, and so as his family, what are you going to do with your, your dead brother? You're going to put him in the tomb, aren't you? So let's, let's bury him in here. <laughs> and you, you, you look a bit too happy uh, for, for your brother who's just passed away. Let's grieve, let's wail, let's, let's cry at the graveside. And now Jesus can arrive. And Jesus arrives and joins in the grief. Jesus is upset. His good friend Lazarus is now dead. So we're crying at the graveside. I'm going to read from John chapter 11, just get a bit of the drama of what's happening. It says, then Jesus, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a, a cave and a stone slash chair was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench. 
because he's been dead for four days. So Andy's been a bit stinky in there for a few days. You know, like dead body vibes. So it's not a very pleasant smell coming out of there. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed you'll see the glory of God? Hold that thought. If you believe you'll see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so they may believe you've sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come on, <laughs> and the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go which we do. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Thanks to our volunteers. Let's give them a bit of appreciation. And I realise when I say volunteers, I'm using it in quite a loose sense because you were, you were press-ganged into service this morning. What happened after this was there was a, a huge swing in the public opinion because it wasn't just the family gathered around the grave. There was a whole crowd of them who saw this happen. And so you've got all these people in Jerusalem and Bethany and the surrounding area. Up to this point, they might have heard whispers. They might have had people tell stories. The rumour mill was circulating. This Jesus fella, there's something going on there. He does some unusual things. He's worth paying attention to. But now they've seen with their own eyes what he can do. And not just the ones that were there, but all the rest of them have now got hundreds of people who can say, I was there. I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And actually, if people wanted to go check it out, they could just go visit Lazarus's house. Those who smelled the grave smell, a few days later can go and uh, have a meal with him. They can go and talk to him. They can hear his testimony. So the public opinion about Jesus has shifted. He's gone from being an unconventional teacher to an unignorable miracle worker. He's gone from a sideshow to a must-see, from a curiosity to the central attraction. Let me just pause there for a second and ask whether this shift has ever happened for you. As you think about Jesus, maybe you're here because you've heard the rumours, you've heard people tell stories, you think there must be something to it, but have you seen for yourself? Has it shifted in your mind and your heart from, oh yeah, he's interested, to I'm compelled, I've got to be there, I've got to be around him. When you get a glimpse of his glory and his power, that changes everything. Well now Lazarus here, he's become a huge problem for the enemies of Jesus. There were a lot of people around who didn't like him, powerful religious authorities who Jesus, he didn't beat the tune of their drum. They wanted Jesus out of the way. You thought it was bad when there was the man who'd been born blind going around saying, I was blind, but now I can see. Well, how much of a problem is it when you've got the guy who was in the grave walking around giving testimony? So now they don't just want to stop Jesus, but they're starting to plot and try to kill Jesus. It's always been the way that the biggest obstacle for those who don't like the gospel is seeing 
the effects of it in someone's life. Seeing the evidence, seeing people who've been radically changed by Jesus, that always interrogates the lie when people say, oh, there's nothing special about Jesus. It's like, hello, look at my life, look at your life, look at what he's done. Lazarus was a walking testimony to the goodness of Jesus. But because they're planning to kill Jesus now, He's keeping a bit of a low profile. He's having to um, not kind of be quite as public. He's having to just kind of keep his head down. And then we get to the festival weekend. So this is uh, the Saturday before the Passover. So you've got the Passover coming on the Friday. We're about six days before. But when it was that time of year, everybody would show their face in Jerusalem. Anyone who was anyone. Religious teachers, people who had followings, people who had authority, they'd all turn up. So the question is, what will Jesus do? Will Jesus join the crowd? Will Jesus go to Jerusalem on this occasion? It's a bit like if you've ever seen a Robin Hood movie uh, and people are trying to get Robin Hood and then they hold the archery contest and everyone's there like, what will Robin do? Will he be able to resist showing up and, and uh, entering this competition, fighting for Maid Mary and all of that stuff? Same idea here. Will Jesus show up in Jerusalem for the Passover? And what he does on the Saturday is he turns up at Lazarus's house. Don't worry, we're not going to act this bit out. But he turns up here and he's going to stay with you guys for the, the week. He's going to be with you. He'll go into Jerusalem for the festival. Now, word gets around. And so people from all over Jerusalem start heading out to Bethany because they've heard, hey, Jesus is there. I want to see for myself. I want to see what's going on. Maybe I want to see Lazarus as well. Ask him about his experience. A whole bandwagon is starting to build. This is a disaster for those people who don't like Jesus. So much so that not only now do they want to kill Jesus, They've also decided they want to kill Lazarus as well, put him back under the table in the cave there because he's such a problem for them. Jesus tackles it head on. So Jesus, rather than keeping a low profile any longer, he heads to Jerusalem. This is the Sunday now. This is Palm Sunday. This is where the story we started with, Jesus on the donkey, comes into it. And it's it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've been around after an Olympic Games when the, uh, the British medalists come home and you get people lining the streets, they're on the open top bus, they're holding their medals and crowds are cheering. Maybe you've seen the same uh, when City have a good season, they do an open top bus tour, don't they? And people can go out and, and hail their conquering heroes. Back in the day, it was military leaders. It was generals. There was uh, 200 years before this, there was a general who liberated Jerusalem from foreign powers. And he rode into town and people were waving their palm branches. And exactly the same thing that was happening. Well, Jesus goes into town and this happens to him. Here's how it's described in John's Gospel. Chapter 12 from verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That was an Old Testament prophecy. That's what Zechariah had said. Your king will come and he'll be riding on a young 
donkey. Now, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. This wasn't just happenstance. He wasn't like, oh, there's a donkey. Oh, isn't this funny? This is a little bit like what Zechariah said. He was doing it on purpose. It was, it was street theater. It was a prophetic enactment. It was a deliberate statement by Jesus by getting that donkey. He knew that he was riding into town, taking the mantle as king, as Messiah. He, he'd already said, didn't I tell you, if you believed, you'll see the glory of God. And now he's riding into town, hailed as king. His opponents know what's going on. And they conclude in verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the whole world has got after him. And the crowd know what's going on. Jesus is coming as the Messiah, the Christ. He's doing it publicly and he's been received as such. So everyone understands what's going on, right? Or do they? Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I don't know if you ever have this, but you'll read a passage and then sometime later you'll read the passage and then sometime later and you'll have read it a few times and then you read it and something jumps out at you that you haven't quite seen before. Like a verse just stands off the page and makes you take notice. It's always good when that happens to, to just probe it, to ask a few questions. Like, hey, hey, what's going on here? What is this all about? And verse 16 has done that for me as I've been reading this story recently. It says this, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. What caught my eye about this? The disciples didn't understand it. I started to hang on. What's not to understand? What is there that's so difficult? What is there that's so confusing about this? He rides into town and everyone is like, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Surely, I mean, they weren't the brightest guys, but they weren't totally thick either. When you see this going on, surely you say, oh yeah, they're hailing him as king. It's obvious, isn't it? What's happening? Unless it's not as simple as that, unless there's something more that they might have missed that maybe we've missed as well. Unless when we read it on that level, we haven't got the full depth of what's going on. And I think if we read on a little bit, we might see what we should be seeing in the Palm Sunday story. So from verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So these Greeks, they start with their question, we want to see Jesus. That is a fantastic request. They've obviously heard the hype, the news that's spreading about him. And so they say, well, I want to see for myself. I want to know. I want to understand. I don't know how you describe yourself this morning when it comes to Jesus, how you relate to him, how you engage with him. But if this is where you're at, then that's a great place to be. If you say, look, I've heard some friends talk about Jesus. I've heard there might be something here. Now I want to know for myself. I want to see for myself. If that's where you're at this morning, that's a great place to be. Ask your questions. Look into the claims that he made. Encounter him for yourself. I remember when I was 19, I I said, I'm really open-minded about this stuff. 
But I wasn't, I was kidding myself. But then there came a moment that said, yeah, actually now I wanna see. Now I wanna know if there's something to it. And I started asking my questions. By the way, uh, we're gonna start running an alpha course here soon. That's a brilliant space to ask those questions if you've got them. But for these people who came, they went to Philip, who was one of the disciples. He kind of bumped it up the chain a bit to Andrew, who was one of the more senior disciples, uh, and he took it to Jesus. And Jesus, his answer was interesting because he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, that sounds promising. You want to see Jesus. And Jesus is like, great. And the time has come for me to be glorified. And this idea of glory, it's been running through. That's what he promised to the sisters. You'll see the glory of God. That's why he says when the disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered them. And he said, the hour's here. I'm going to be glorified now. And you think, hang on a second. Haven't you just been glorified already? Isn't that what it was all about when the donkey was walking along and you were riding its back and all the crowd was shouting and screaming and hailing you as king? Weren't you being glorified then, Jesus? Weren't you doing the things that you'd expect a glorious leader to do? Weren't you playing the part of every general, every strong man, every human authority there's ever been? Weren't you playing the role and receiving glory just then? Weren't you meeting all the expectations of the conquering triumphant king who will ride into town, who will kick the Romans out, who will liberate your people? Weren't you playing that part and receiving the glory, Jesus? But that isn't quite what he means when he talks about his glory. His glory is something else entirely. You see, on Palm Sunday, Jesus was playing the part of the expectation. He was living up to what they'd want from an earthly ruler. And then over Easter week, he totally subverts it. He turns it on its head and he shows that the glory and power of God is of a completely different nature to what everyone was expecting, what everyone was lying in the streets ready to receive. You could almost say that Palm Sunday was a bit of a parody of how we think power and glory ought to work. Because in the kingdom of God, it works in a very different way. And so Jesus goes on to say this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains just a single grain but if it dies it bears much fruit those who love their life lose it and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified and the way that glory will come is like a grain of wheat going into the earth and dying it's very different isn't it Let's do a little thought experiment. Imagine I was to give you a grain of wheat and I said to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of this grain of wheat. I want you to look after it. I want you to protect it. I want you to nourish it. And you take it very seriously. So you get this grain of wheat and you take it home and you think, right, I'm going to look at every spot I've got in my house. I'm going to find a place where it's protected. I'll put it in a, in a cupboard with a, a glass door so uh, the elements can't get it. So if there's a draft, it can't blow my grain 
have we? I'm going to make sure the lighting on it is gentle. I'm going to set up some, so, some lights with just the, the right amount of light. I'm going to make sure the moisture level is just perfect. And I'm going to look at this grain of wheat every day and make sure it's okay. <laughs> what would you have from that? Maybe for a while, you'd have one grain of wheat. But before long, your grain of wheat would start to, to wither, wouldn't it? It'd start to die away. It'd start to become nothing. You've tried so hard to protect and look after it, but before long, it's nothing. On the other hand, if I gave you a grain of wheat and you say, actually, forget that. I'm not going to put it in a cupboard. I'm not going to set the light in or anything. I'm just going to get it and throw it out. I'm going to throw it into my garden. I'm going to trample it into the, into the soil. Then what might happen? Well, from it would start to grow more, dozens, hundreds of grains of wheat coming from the one that's gone into the ground and died. And Jesus says his glory is like that. If you try and put him on that earthly pedestal, if you try and hold on to him, well, then there's nothing. But if he goes into the ground, then fruit will come, then life will come. As Jesus dies, the glory of God is shown through a cross, not through a parade. It's a different kind of thing. We need to understand this. Sometimes I think we can have the mindset that the glory of God looks the same as earthly power, earthly prestige and earthly hype. And it doesn't. The glory of God looks like crucifixion, suffering and death. And from it comes fruit. We're wired, aren't we, to look for things that seem impressive, that seem strong and that seem triumphant. And what does Jesus bring? Something that's shameful, that's weak, and that looks like defeat. We want to be at the top of the tree. We want to take first place. But the glory of Jesus comes in taking the lowest place and being the servant of all. We want health and wealth and prosperity. And the glory of Jesus comes in. Take up your cross, follow me, lay down your life to save it. Emil Ewing puts it this way, the church of Jesus Christ begins and grows and flourishes in reality. There's glory in the midst of trauma, disappointment and human failure. I wonder what would happen this Easter if we tore down our obsession with earthly power and we leaned into the glory of the cross. What would happen to the way we think about leaders? Because we have, don't we, our, our Christian versions of celebrities, our Christian version of impressive people who we put on a pedestal, we give platforms to, we hype, we buy all their books, we listen to all their teaching, we talk about them all the time. Maybe we miss the fact it's not about the one or two people who've got these special anointed gifts, but... No, it's, it's the priesthood of all believers. It's each one of us playing our part, serving each other, laying our lives down. I love this from Tabiti Anyabwili. He says, do you realise our Lord's only platform on earth were the two beams of wood to which he was nailed and raised up? His platform was a cross and he didn't go to the cross until his hour had come. And his earthly life and ministry were to end. But platforms in this world are not about death and crosses. Platforms are about influence with man. 
Platforms are not about rejection, mocking, ridicule and scandal. Platforms are about acceptability, accessibility and respectability. But the cross of Christ ain't. How can we bear a cross and seek a platform at the same time? When we get that the glory of Christ isn't in a parade, but is in a crucifixion, maybe it changes the way we think about church. Maybe we think less about, hey, wouldn't it be great if this was big, if this was slick? Wouldn't it be great if we got a lighting rig and made, made it feel like a gig and someone would come in and go, wow! There's nothing wrong with churches that do those kind of things, but we miss that the glory is in the small and the gritty and the way we serve one another. Maybe when we get this, it would change the way we think about prayer. Don't we love those testimonies of spectacular miracles? Everything gets answered. You pray once and heaven descends. Maybe there's something of glory in every day going with the same prayer request for 20 years and then finally seeing breakthrough, that you've sweated over it, that you've agonized over it. Maybe there's glory in that. Maybe with evangelism, it's like we, we, we have these expectations of like, hey, I'll share the gospel and then massive revival will come. Sometimes it happens, but isn't there glory in those um, little snippets of conversation over the back fence that you've been praying over for years? Well, discipleship, we, we think it's these big dramatic choices. There's glory in the small decisions we make every day to put someone else before ourselves, to live for Jesus minute by minute. Jesus says those who love their life will lose it. But those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Isn't that a challenging saying? Isn't it a mind-blowing thing to see that the glory of God is in the low thing? It isn't where we place it. It isn't where we'd expect it. It comes in the suffering. It comes in the cross. It comes in the laying down and in the giving up. But that's the message of Palm Sunday. That's the message of Easter. It's the message of the gospel that as that seed of wheat, Jesus, went into the ground, what comes from it? Eternal life. There's fruit. There's a harvest. and We are testament to that. We found life because he, the seed, went into the ground. And our lives take the same shape. In this, you bear much fruit. You lay down your life and in it you find your life. There's crucifixion. There's resurrection. There's sorrow. And there's joy. And that's the Palm Sunday message. I wonder, Robin, would you just um, jump forward where, where you are? Um, I just had a sense as I was working on this, as I was putting this together, that there's people in the room who in various ways feel like you're under the cosh right now. For, for whatever reason, this, this week, this month feels like a season where it's pressing in. It feels like a season where life is hard and you're just taking a kick in. And just had a sense that this might be a word for you. If you feel that, if you feel like you've got your circumstances and you, you don't understand them, you're confused by why it's going the way it's going. I just feel Jesus would say, actually, there's a glory in this. I can do something with this. I can bring fruit through this. It might not be the circumstances you'd want or choose, yet my glory can be seen in the stuff you're walking through.